Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Uh, more stuff to check out right now. I'm here, our buddy Jim Wallace. You remember him? He's been here twice. Well, good morning, Christ Community Church. Look, I know this week's been crazy. I know we thought the spirit of 2020 was dead, but come on, it can only get better, I hope. Good morning, Christ Community Church. There we go. All right. Youth group, Galaxy, you guys are dismissed. You guys can head to your classes, uh, head to the upper room, head back to the Galaxy. Oh, boy, what a crazy, crazy week. I watched with absolute horror, as you all did this week, what was going on in the U.S. Capitol. I worked there for two years, um, and I, I, I really love that place. It's just really great. I was such a nerd. I was a member of the Capitol Historical Society when I was on Capitol Hill, which got me a certificate so I could give official tours of the Capitol and, and to watch just the lunacy. One, the violence and the lost lives. That was tragic. The other side, it was just like, it was just bizarre. Did you see the guy with the buffalo helmet? What, is he in a village people cover band? What? Or was he just like, think he's the grand poobah from the Flintstones? I mean, it was ridiculous. I've just never seen anything like it. Um, but just pray for our country. It's, it, it's just, we're in bizarro land. And so just, just keep praying because what this country needs more than a political fix, I said last week, is a revival in the name of Jesus Christ is what it needs. And so just keep praying for that. Um, now, I'm gonna, we're going to get into Acts 14 this morning. And we're going to cover the whole chapter. It's a short chapter, uh, 28 verses. And it really kind of 13 and 14 belong together, but it was just too long to hook together. So I had to break it up into two parts. So we're going to run through Acts 14. And one of the things I'm going to talk about is something that typically doesn't make sense to the average churchgoer, which is kind of envy and jealousy among church leaders about other church leaders. I, I hear this all the time, and, and, but it's an old, old thing. Now, look, some things don't make sense to me. Um, I, uh, like many of you, made New Year's resolutions. Um, well, it's day 10. I'm still on it. Uh, we'll see how long it lasts. But I, you know, one of the things I resolved to do was to eat better and be healthier. And so, Megan and I both made that resolution. One of us have kept it. Um, and, and so, because, you know, I kept that, I, I, I've been cooking a lot more than I've been going out. And um, this week, I pulled out a um, low-carb, high-protein pizza, which tastes just a little bit better than cardboard and ketchup. But... Um, and I was looking at the directions, and it said, I remember it said, this just struck me. I have a lawyer's mind, so it's kind of twisted. But I looked at it, and it just struck me. Preheat to 400 degrees. How do you preheat an oven? Isn't an oven either heated or not heated? Think about it. In fact, 
if an oven's off and it works correctly, isn't it always preheated? Shouldn't the direction say heat to 400 degrees? Right? Right? I mean, there's some, I, don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand some of the things that we do. Some things don't make sense to me in, 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 our, in our culture and the way we use words and, and the way we do things, the way we talk to each other. I don't, I don't get it. I, I, I just don't get it. But that's a lawyer's mind, and I know we're weirdos because we overread everything. But like I said, one of the things that strikes Christians as really odd is when they hear their fellow Christians who are going to a church badmouth another church or another pastor, or they hear a pastor badmouth another pastor or another church. Now, to be honest and to be biblical, which is what we're trying to be here, sometimes some church leaders, unfortunately, need some badmouthing. That's biblical. You know, the Bible says that one of the uh, responsibilities of an elder or a pastor is to guard their flock from the wolves. And one of the ways they describe wolves is those who say they are Christian leaders or pastors, but come in and teach something unbiblical, or they twist the scriptures, or, or, or whatever. And so those kind of people need to be badmouthed. Some of you are old enough to remember uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. You remember them? And there was that huge scandal and all the other kind of stuff. And, you know, and he ended up going to federal prison. And when he got out of prison, he admitted in his book that when he was on, what was it, PTL or something like that. It's been a long time. He admitted in his book that when he was on TV speaking supposedly in the name of Jesus Christ, he had never read the Bible all the way through, ever. That what he would do is he would decide what he wanted to say, and then he would look in the concordance index in the back and try to find a verse to match up with it. Now, that deserves some bad-mouthing, does it not? Because that's not the Word of God. That's the Word of man cherry-picking the Word of God. See the point? And unfortunately, this is nothing new. If you read Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians, Paul says that there are people out there preaching the gospel. He says in Philippians 1.15, there are people out there preaching Jesus out of envy and rivalry. Now, what does that mean? That means they're preaching Jesus to draw attention to themselves. That's it. They want spotlight. They see, they, in other words, what, what Paul is saying is, they saw that when I was preaching, or when Peter was preaching, or when John was preaching, they drew a crowd, and they're like, ooh, I want to draw a crowd, so I'll do that too. And Paul says, well, you know, thank God they're preaching the gospel, but their motives aren't pure. It's jealousy. A person, any person in any line of work, whatever it is, there are all the, always going to be those people. They look over at someone more successful and drawing more attention, and they get jealous, and so they try to duplicate it or one-up them. That's human nature. 
It happens everywhere, and unfortunately it happens in the church as well. And it happens among church leaders. I've been the butt end of that, and I will confess I have felt that myself. When, you know, I was preaching at Revolution, we were drawing a crowd of mainly 16 to 26-year-olds, which most churches weren't doing, and within a few months, I heard, well, such and such pastor said this, such and such pastor, I was like, oh, gosh, okay. But then, I remember, um, I used to travel for a living, and I was in Texas once, and one of the pastors I, I, I admire, I, I love to hear him preach, love to watch his Bible studies, read his books, is a guy I, I've known about for a very, very long time, even before he was on the national stage, Matt Chandler. Um, Matt Chandler was doing his Bible degree at Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas, while I was doing my master's degree at Abilene Christian University. We were a mile apart. And Matt was running a Thursday night Bible study at a large Baptist church called Grace and I was working as a youth minister in an inner city church in Abilene, and some of my kids were going to his Bible study. And I went to check it out one night to make sure, because you never know what you're going to get. And I went to see it, and I thought, yeah, he's solid. And, and then some of those kids from my youth group went on to live in Dallas and work in Dallas, and they ended up going to Matt Chandler's church. Now, if you don't know who that is, let me give you a little bit of a backstory. Um, Matt never intended to be a pastor. He wanted to be a full-time evangelist, and he wanted to do things to train youth and, and so forth. But one of his biggest donors to his nonprofit attended a small Baptist church in Flower Mound, Texas, and said, Matt, you know, I, I, I will be more ready to support you if you'll help take over the pulpit of this church and preach on Sundays. You're not doing anything on Sunday mornings. Come preach for us. And he was like, uh, okay. And so he goes to this church for about 100, 150 people. It's Baptist church, and in Texas, a, church, a Baptist church, 150 is a small church. And so he goes and he preaches, and he begins preaching there on Sunday morning. Within a year, it's 1,000 people. Within a couple years, it's 5,000 people. Then it's 10,000 people. Then it's 15,000 people. Matt's just a really anointed, blessed teacher and preacher. And so when I found myself in Dallas, I messaged the kids that had been in my youth group. And, you know, we were kind of messaging back and forth to have dinner together. I said, well, hey, why don't you go to church with us and we'll go out to lunch afterwards. I like, sure. So I went and I visited Matt's church. And they said, you have to get there early or you're going to have to park like a mile away. I said, okay. So I got there really early, like an hour before the service. I walk in. It's a former box store, like a Lowe's or a Home Depot that they've renovated. And you walk in, and first of all, the first thing you notice is beautiful, spotless hardwood floors. Gorgeous. And they had a great coffee bar. And of course, you don't buy coffee, you only rent it. So immediately, I got to go to the bathroom. And so I go to the bathroom, and you can eat off the bathroom floor. It's so clean. And then I go into the auditorium, huge jumbotron, theater-style seats, incredible. Matt comes out, preaches for like 45, 50 minutes. He nails it. 
I'm sitting up front with these three kids. I'm sitting there going, yeah, 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 this is great. This is great. And we go out to lunch and we're talking about, yeah, it's great. And it's great what God's doing through Matt and all their kind of stuff. And then I, get, I say goodbye. I get in my car, get ready to uh, drive back to, to uh, DFW to fly back home. And within five minutes of driving, I was like, why can't I have that kind of church? Um, it, it just, it's natural. Right? It just, it, just, it just happens. It's human nature. It's just human nature. And it's been going on forever. We saw it in 13. We're going to pick up in chapter 14. It happened to Paul. 14.1. Here we go. The same thing occurred in Iconium where Paul and Barnabas went into the Jewish synagogue, that's the Jewish church, and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. When he says the same thing, he means initial success, then people get jealous, and then they come after him. That's what he's talking about. Now, just as a side note for you fellow Bible nerds, when it says Iconium, that's where they're at, that's actually in the region of a place called Galatia. Galatia. And if you know your Bible, Paul wrote a little letter called the letter to the Galatians. So this is that area that he'll be writing to later. And in Galatia, there were Jewish churches there, Jewish synagogues, but there was also this huge pagan cult to the goddess Sibylle. Now, the reason that's important is this. The goddess Sibylle was this pagan deity that they worshipped and believed brought fertility and healing. The goddess Sibylle, by the way, is the main influence on the modern pagan goddess Gaia. Or Mother Nature. That's how Earth Day started, by the way. The worship of Gaia. Just as an aside. Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who testified to the word of his grace by granting signs and wonders to be done through him. Now notice that again, because people sometimes get so caught up on miracles and they think that there should be miracle workers and people should just possess this power. That's not what it says. It says, the Lord testified to the word of his grace by granting signs and wonders to be done through them. In other words, God said, yep, Paul and Barnabas are speaking the truth. I will give them, grant them miracles to kind of show that this is from me. Keep that in mind. But the residents of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, that means Jewish leaders, and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, the apostles learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding country. And there they continued proclaiming the good news. Now, stop just for a second, just a footnote. What we're going to see as we work through Acts and we see Paul's missionary journey, sometimes, and we'll see this in a second, when Paul faces that kind of opposition, he will just stand up and say, bring it. And other times, he'll say, "Eh, okay, later. Now, why is that? Is Paul just kind of wavering? No, 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 no. Remember last week, who commissioned Paul and Barnabas to be the first Christian missionaries? The Holy Spirit. Who is guiding Paul and Barnabas? 
the Holy Spirit. And apparently, long before Kenny Rogers, the Holy Spirit had the attitude, you got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him, and know when to walk away. That's what's going on. Verse 8. In Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet and had never walked, for he had been crippled from birth. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. And Paul, looking at him intently and seeing that he had the faith to be healed, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up or jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in a human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Barnabas was probably a big guy. That's why they called him Zeus. Zeus was kind of the chief of the gods. And then Hermes was the messenger, and Paul was doing all the speaking, so that's why they called them that. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifice. Now, this is a big deal. Oxen were really expensive which means they were really, really impressed by what was going on. Now, in all likelihood, it's not that they were so impressed by the message as by the miracles. And that's why they called them gods. But notice how the apostles respond. Verse 14. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their clothes, that's a Jewish way of showing grief, and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are mortals just like you. We're just human beings. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made all the nations to follow their own ways. Yet he has not left himself without a witness in doing good, giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Sounds a lot like what Paul would write in Romans 1 through 3, by the way. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the crowd from offering sacrifices to them. I want you to take note of that, because this happens a couple times in Acts, where the crowd, so impressed with the speaker, starts praising them as some kind of God or superhuman being. Herod's grandkid takes it, and God strikes him dead for it. Paul and Barnabas go, no, 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 don't, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. The point here is this. Paul and Barnabas constantly, when anything good came from it, gave the praise to God. They did not receive it themselves. And that should still be the way it is. Um, Many of you are very, very kind. Well, all of you are very kind to me, but some of you are very kind, and after I preach... Some of you will come up and say, good sermon. I appreciate that. It's very sweet. It's very nice. It makes me nervous. It makes me nervous. Because I know myself well enough pushing 50 to know But I am not so smart and so talented and so gifted and all that other kind of stuff that if I do anything that truly honors God and pushes people to God, that's God working, not me. That's the way it is. And 
I think of the words of uh, William Willimon. William Willimon, uh, for years, was chaplain at Duke University. If there was ever a university that needed a good chaplain, it was Duke. But anyway, um, when William Willimon preached there, he would preach at chapel, and he would go to, when he was done, somebody would come up and say the closing prayer. He'd go back by the doors to say goodbye as people, as they filed out. Some churches do that. And he had the same response, everybody, anyone who would come up to him and say, good sermon. He'd always have the same response. We'll see. In other words, you know, if I'm up here, and I, even if I preach my guts out and my heart out, if the Holy Spirit doesn't motivate you and, you and you don't go out and do something about it, we just might as well stay home and watch Netflix. What's the point? Paul would not take that praise. Verse 19, but Jews came there from Antioch and Iconium and won over the crowds. Then they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. They dragged him out of the city because Jews, they thought he was dead, and Jews were offended by dead bodies, so you probably had a couple of Gentiles go and throw him outside the city so he wouldn't offend the Jews. Supposing that he was dead, but when the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the city. Once he had some bodyguards, he went back in. And the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Now, remember this. This is important again. I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but I'll give it one more swift kick. Here's the thing. There is still that myth out there that if you're a faithful Christian, God will take care of you and that he will protect you and give you a long, healthy life. Did he give it to Paul? You see, when they picked up rocks, it's not like when you were a little kid. When you were a little kid, you may have picked up a rock and slung it at some other little kid. I mean, I hope you were a kid the last time you did it. But anyway, if you were a little kid and you took a rock and you, you know, hit another little kid, all you wanted to do was make him go, ouch, maybe cry, run home to mommy, that kind of thing. In the ancient world, they picked up rocks. They weren't going to stop throwing them until you were dead. It was meant to kill you. And here, Paul takes so many shots, they're convinced nobody can take that. He's dead. And you got to remember, go back to Acts 9.16, where God says when he calls Paul, he will see how much he must suffer for my name. Stoning was always meant to end in death. And by the way, it still goes on. In some parts of the world, stoning still happens. Uh, when I was reading through this week Craig Keener's massive commentary on Acts, Craig Keener's a good scholar, and he has a four-volume commentary on Acts. His first volume just covers the first two chapters, and it's 1,200 pages. And, but... He, he mentions in his commentary that he got to meet a, a, a missionary by the name of Baba Timbaya, who was a Nigerian missionary. And early on in his mission, he started preaching the gospel to a tribe, and they tried to stone him to death. And they left him for dead. And somehow he survived and kept going, just like Paul. But it still happens.
Verse 21. After they had proclaimed the good news to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, then on to Iconium, they go back, and Antioch. There they strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying it is through many persecutions that we must enter the kingdom of God. Notice that. And notice this. And after they had appointed elders for them in each church, elected elders? No, appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, they entrusted them to the Lord with whom they had come to believe. We don't elect elders here at Christ Community Church, and there's a reason. It's not biblical. You cannot find that in Scripture. That, was a, that is church tradition that is not Scripture. It is not. When Paul and Barnabas and the boys or John Mark or whoever, they go out and plant churches, and they disciple the people, and they take what they believe is to be the wisest, the person closest to God, and then they appoint them elders. And elders in the ancient church were not a corporate board. They were pastors. They were ministers. Ministers who, according to Paul, had to be able to teach and preach. Now, now not all of them did, but they had to be able to. They were appointed elders. Verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed back to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had completed. And when they arrived, they called the church together, related all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. And they stayed there with the disciples for some time. Now, Paul is just getting it left and right. Now, the church has always faced opposition. Almost anywhere and everywhere it has gone. It initially faces a lot of opposition from the pagan temples. And one of the reasons it faces opposition from the pagan temples, and we'll see it get worse as we go on in Acts, is because... All, Paul's converting all these people, one, and the pagan temples rely on those people who go to Paul to come to them and spend their money. So it's financial, but also it was cultural. In the Roman Empire, most people believed in multiple gods. And you believed in as many gods as you wanted. It was like modern-day Hindus. Believe in as many gods as you want. And they saw the Jews as kind of funny. They believe in one god. But, you know, they don't, they don't really try to evangelize that much, so who cares? But then you get this guy coming along and saying, there's one God. The only way through him is through Jesus Christ. And you have to renounce all the pagan temples. And paganism said, wait, 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 wait a minute. This guy doesn't just believe in one God like the Jews. He be, he's going out and converting our people. And so you would, you would expect that he would face opposition for that, right? And then later on, you get emperors like Nero and on and on who, who actually believe they are gods and want to be worshipped as gods. And when the Christians say, nope, we won't worship you as God, he says, kill them. And so they face opposition from the Roman Empire for several centuries. 
Because they will not say Caesar is Lord. They will only say Jesus is Lord. You would expect that. Centuries later, you would have Muhammad create the Islamic faith. And you had the Muslims invade the Middle East and Europe and so forth. And you have the clash between Christians and Islam. You would expect that. But what you would not expect is people from your own group, your own community, to start shooting arrows at your own back. But it happens. I mean, you think about this. Okay, Paul strolls into a Jewish church. He's got his scrolls. He sits down to indicate that he's a rabbi or a teacher. The time comes for teaching. They look over. They see this guy sitting. He's got his scrolls. Do you have a message to share? He, so he sits there, and he unrolls it, and he begins to teach. And what does he do? From Genesis through Malachi, he shows them how the Bible, their beloved scriptures, the Jews' beloved scriptures, point to Jesus Christ. And nearly every Jew sitting in that synagogue had been waiting for the Messiah. And you've got somebody there showing them verse by verse, chapter by chapter, over, book by book by book, showing he's here, he's arrived, we've been waiting for the Messiah, his name is Jesus, here he is. So you'd think that the Jewish leaders would be like, even if they didn't buy it, would be like, okay. Because there had been people declared Messiahs before. All kinds of people uh, before Jesus and after Jesus popped up and said, I'm the Messiah, and had some support from different Jewish leaders. And none of them were banned from the synagogues. None of them were stoned to death. None of them, they didn't have a problem with it. Wait, wait, wait a minute, Paul. Two things. One, you're saying our Messiah was crucified by the Roman Empire? And two, you're going out to the marketplace and you're drawing crowds of Gentiles and you're drawing big crowds and you're drawing our crowds away from the, us? They're not listening to us anymore. They're listening to you. Jealousy. Envy. As much as theological differences, it was pure and utter envy and jealousy that said, we've got to kill him. Because envy will do that. Envy will do that. Envy, by its very definition is you want what someone else has. You either want to be them or you want a quality they have. You want their success. And then when you don't get it, envy will fill your spirit with darkness and you will begin to wish failure, if not destruction, upon that person. Even taking delight in their downfall. And that is toxic. Absolutely toxic. And that's why the Bible warns against it. That's what's going on. And it hasn't changed. I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts. And I don't listen to much music anymore. There hasn't been good music from the eight, since the 80s anyway. It's a scientific fact. Um, and, and 
I listen to these podcasts, and every once in a while, I'll turn on a podcast I've never heard before. And it'll be somebody theologically to the left of me, a, a so-called progressive Christian. And do you know what they want to talk about almost all the time? They want to talk about people like Matt Chandler and how wrong they are and how silly they are. Why don't they spend time talking about what they believe instead of just talking about him? Envy. Envy. They're like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. We know how to read the Bible. We've got it right. What's that hick down there who believes all this antiquated stuff, who doesn't believe in evolution, who doesn't believe in all this stuff? Who, who, who is this guy down there? Who, he's an idiot. Why should people listen to him? Envy, 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 envy. It's pure and utter toxic envy. And man, they talk about it a lot. It's out there. And you will hear it. You'll hear it. I guarantee you. I've already heard some of it. I'll hear more of it. Lord willing, if I could finish my doctoral studies, I know that one of the first things I'll hear outside this church is, oh, he thinks he's so great because he's got his PhD. Right? Envy. Stupid envy, too. The other problem is this, but part of the problem is there are two big problems facing the church today. Two huge problems. And they're individual in nature. The first one is this. The ego of the pastor. And two, the desire by crowds who go to church to hear only what they want to hear. Now, this is more than 1,900 years old. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4.3, 1,900 years ago, that there will come a time when people will not want to hear biblical teaching and preaching. He called it itching ears. He said they'll have itching ears. They just want to hear what they want to hear. And so you take a guy with a big ego who wants the spotlight. Then you take a crowd who just wants to hear what it wants to hear. Just what, doesn't want to hear any of that stuff about hell. Doesn't want to hear any of that stuff about sin. Doesn't want to hear any stuff about judgment. Doesn't want to hear anything about Jesus being the only way. Doesn't want to hear about any of that stuff. You have that kind of crowd with a guy with that kind of ego, and boom, you've got a church. And that's dangerous. That is dangerous. That's when you get the Jim and Tammy Faye Bakers. And you've got to watch that stuff. You've got to watch that stuff. I have nothing against big churches. If a, if a pastor is faithful, like Matt Chandler, by all appearances, appears to be, if a pastor is faithful, like Tim Keller appears to be, and they're just faithful, and God blesses us to have a large church, God bless them and keep them. May their tribe multiply. If it's just about the pastor's ego and the people that he just gives them what they want to hear, 
I wish that would go away. Once upon a time, that would not happen. And the reason that would not happen is apostolic authority. We've lost that. We've lost that. That's why I'm not a big fan of church discipline. There are a lot of churches that are really hot on church discipline. They hear through the grapevine that such and such is screwing up. So they, the elders call them in and they dress them down. And then if they don't see what they want, they kick them out of the church. And they're like, there, we've been faithful. No, you haven't. If the apostle Paul kicked you out of a church, you had nowhere else to go. There was nowhere else to go. If the apostle Paul told some guy in Corinth, you're gone for a while. I'm kicking you out. We hope you come to your, repent and come back. But until you get your act together, you're out of here. He couldn't go to the Baptist church down the street. There wasn't one. There were only the churches that the apostles had founded. And the apostles were all on the same page. We've lost that. We don't have that. It was called apostolic succession. Paul was called by Jesus Christ directly. Paul trained Timothy and Titus. Timothy and Titus trained their successors, who trained their successors, who trained their successors, and they had authority over the church. Then a Roman emperor named Constantine looked around, and he kept getting his behind handed to him in battles, but he saw these Christians who would stand up to the lions and stand up to the soldiers and sing hymns while they were being slaughtered. He goes, man, they're brave. I could use them on my side. Hey, folks, I'm a Christian. Come fight for me. And if you know anything about his life, he was about as Christian as Muhammad. And then Constantine takes over the church, and then all of a sudden, it's not the successors of Paul, Timothy, and Titus becoming bishops and elders. It's whoever sucks up to the emperor, and the emperor is selecting bishops and elders, and everything goes to pot. That's what happened. It's unfortunate, but that's what happened. I wish we still had that. We don't. If somebody, if I torque somebody off or I, you know, somebody comes to see me and I tell them that, you know, as typical when it comes to marriage counseling is, you know, they always come in, husband comes in, wife comes in, they're sitting there across from me, and they're like, the wife goes, he does this, and the husband goes, she does this. I go, yeah, you're both wrong, knock it off. And both of them get mad at me. And what do they do? Well, I'll just go to this church over here. Okay, I can't do anything about that. So, people can just jump from here to there and all this other kind of stuff, and there's nothing that can be done about it. That's just the way it is. And the lesson that we have to glean from Paul and Barnabas as Christians who will face this is this. They just persevered. They just kept going, and so should we. What do you do about a pastor who's out there in left field? Pray for him. What do you do when somebody says, oh, you go to that church where they're just a bunch of right-wing babies? What do you do? Pray for him. 
what you do. Pray for those who hate you. Pray for your enemies. And understand this, though. While it is true that there are certain acts a pastor can commit that can keep him out of the pulpit, either forever or for a time, it depends. Different, different churches have a different approach. I was affiliated with the Christian Missionary Alliance for several years. Their approach was if a pastor screwed up, they had to go through counseling and they had to be away from the pulpit for two years, then they could be restored. You know, it, it, it depends. But you need to understand something. I wish so badly that when I got my seminary degree and I was ordained to ministry, that all the sin just flooded out of me and that I somehow earned this esteem that so many Christians have that they, they place their pastor on this pedestal where they expect them never to screw up. And if they do, they get in a snit and they leave the church. Folks, I am preaching to you today because I was educated and trained to do so. But I'm just as much of a sinner as you are. And I have to repent every single day just like you do. When a pastor screws up, maybe, maybe, maybe they need to be taken from the pulpit for a time or maybe forever. But if a pastor screws up, don't question God. Don't, don't go into hysterics. Recognize we're sinners just like and we're going to screw up. We're just, we're just going to. And pray for us and pray for all pastors that they just get over that silly envy and that silly, selfish, sinful desire to just tell people what they want to hear instead of to be faithful to the Word of God. Pray for them. Because envy is a joy killer, and it keeps you from a close relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think there are a couple biblical ways, practically, that we can all do this. Because we all deal with envy. Don't even tell me you've never envied. You can envy somebody else's family system. You can be somebody who's like, why are my grandkids brats and theirs are so well behaved? That's envy. It's all envy. There are a couple ways you can guard against envy. Number one, be honest with yourself. When you're jealous, when you're envious... Look yourself in the mirror and just admit it. And admit that you're sinning. That's first, because otherwise you'll try to justify it. Don't do that. Be honest with yourself. It may give you some valuable information about yourself, where you need to work on. Number two, focus on what you have, not what others do. Count your own blessing, not others'. Gratitude can kill a number of ills. Be grateful for what you have. And in light of the gospel, if you are a Christian, if you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, 
knowing that he went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that you might live eternally with God, you've already gotten more than you deserve. Realize that the person or situation you're envying, you don't know the whole story. You're only seeing the surface level. You don't know what's going on with that person. I've seen successful people that have been miserable. I've seen people in poverty. They're as happy as can be. There was a pastor a few years ago. I'm not going to name his name. But there was a very successful pastor four or five years ago, Megan, something like that. This guy had huge church, huge church network, great influence, book deal, publishing videos, speaking at conferences, 10, 15,000 people. And then one night he was arrested for beating his wife while he was drunk. All the success, you don't know what's going on. You don't. Focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God and what you can do to help the kingdom of God and focus on yourself and what you need to do to help the kingdom of God, not what others are doing. Don't worry about that. And be generous. Love and help others. One of the great benefits of generosity is that it takes the focus off yourself. And if you focus too much on yourself, that's when envy and vanity and selfishness creep in. Tim Keller said it best, at the end of the day, envy is a fundamental lack of trust in God's control. I'll end with this because I'm running a little long and I apologize. I read a silly story this week about a crab fisherman. Do they call them fishermen? I don't know. They call them crabbers, whatever. Anyway, I'm calling them crab fishermen. There's a crab fisherman. And he was on a pier and he's hawking his wares, he's selling his crabs. And a woman's there in the market, and she's looking around. She looks over, and she notices that the crab fisherman has one bucket of crabs, and it's got a lid on it. It's got a cover on it, and the other bucket is open. And she doesn't want any crabs. She's just kind of interested in what's going on there. So she walks up to the crab fisherman, and she says, why, why one bucket of crabs with no covering and one bucket of crabs with a covering. What's, what's that about? And he said, well, the bucket with the covering, there are two different kinds of crabs, you've got to understand. And, and the, over here, the bucket that has the covering on it, this particular kind of crab, if one of the crab gets its claws on the top, the first thing it will do is reach its other claw down so the other crabs can link on and they'll pull all themselves out of the bucket. And the next thing you know, you're chasing 20 crabs down the boardwalk. He said, well, what, what about the other crabs? He said, oh, those crabs, if one of them gets up there, the others start grabbing in such a way that they just pull them down. So they never get out. You hear what I'm trying to say? 
Envy can destroy us all. But gratitude and generosity, especially in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, can save us and others from sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll forgive us all for the envy we've all experienced. Help us just to focus on your grace. Help us not to worry about what others have, but to thank you for what we have, however little or as much as it may be, always realizing we've received more than we deserve. Pray, Heavenly Father, that we will pray for others instead of envying them, that we will be generous, focus on your cross and our mission for you. May your churches cease to be envious of one another and just look to serve your kingdom. May more and more pastors be raised up who are humble and just want to serve you because their hearts have been broken by your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. God goes with you. Lord willing, I'll see you next time. Hopefully, Browns and Buckeyes fans will be happy next week. I doubt it, but hopefully. So, see ya. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.